This message entitled, By Force or Willingly, Which Will It Be?, was delivered to Christ Our Rock Bible Church on February 5th, 2023, by the Reverend Roy D. Warren, Jr. The scripture reference is John 6, 15-21. Father, I want to thank you, dear God, for your mercy here. Lord, you do make yourself very, very obvious, Lord. We have seen, dear God, uh, you being very conspicuous throughout all these things. Last week we talked about the testimonies about Jesus and specifically that John had a testimony that, that Jesus' miracles and the cross itself has a testimony. And then finally in verse 37 of chapter 5, we saw that the Father himself has borne witness of this testimony. Praise the name of Jesus. And then if we were to follow and do and talk about each and everything that's in there, in there we would find the feeding of the 5,000. But there's no way we can cover everything. And so I'm going to go on to the very next thing in verse 15. <coughs> Praise God. So this is John chapter 6, verses 15 to 21. When Jesus, therefore, perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a, a mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, that is, it was starting to get dark, his disciples went down unto the sea. Verse 17, and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum, which, by the way, was their headquarters, the disciples. That's where they hunkered down, so to speak. And now it was dark, and Jesus was not come to them. They were without their Jesus. I wonder if they had, it appears as though they had expected him to come by this time, and that he would have been able to go with them but he wasn't there yet in verse 18 it says the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew oh God was up to something can I just say that God was up to something so when they had rowed about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs a little over 3 miles if you've ever rowed a boat 3 miles is a long way to row <laughs> it's a long way to row. They see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh, that is, coming up closer unto the ship. And they were afraid. They were afraid. And he said unto them, It is I. Be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately, now get this, I love this part. And immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. That means whatever distance they had yet to go, all of a sudden they didn't have to go it. They were automatically where they were headed kind of reminds me of the day that uh, Jesus 
was with a couple of his followers in that little town called Emmaus. And if you'll remember, they had talked about some things and Jesus had made it clear that, you know, here's the bread, here's the juice, you know, this is me. It's me. And all of a sudden, they knew it and they saw it. And Jesus just poof. He just, what did he do? Did he actually get up? Did he go out, uh, outside first? But I'm telling you, he didn't have to walk all the way home. The Bible makes clear that he was there. He just was there. Wherever he was, he was going, which of course was Jerusalem. He was there. It's a very similar kind of story. Okay? Immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. They didn't have to keep rowing. All of a sudden, they're there. Miraculously, you might as well say. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for this truth here that's before us. I know it's not a long story, but dear God, it's just jam-packed. And I pray, dear God, that you'll truly touch all of our hearts with your love and your mercy and your grace here today. We pray this all, dear God, in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Praise God. There's been a lot to, there's been a lot said in the last uh, several weeks. Um, Prince Harry has been in the news quite a bit. He wrote a book, okay, wrote a book. And, uh, and in that and in his interviews and so forth concerning the book, he made it clear that he felt that the uh, paparazzi that were basically chasing his mom that day in Paris uh, killed her, literally killed her, because it pushed the car to drive more recklessly, and into this tunnel they went, and they hit, the, they hit a, you know, a, a pile along the way, you know, a, a, a whatever you call it, and, um, and the car was all smashed up, and she ended up dying. And there's no doubt that there are many people that figure it's their fault that they did that. However, you know, maybe she shouldn't have been in the car and <laughs> being chased and so forth and so on, but that's not the point. Fact is, Harry thinks so. And, uh, and he pretty much came right out with it. And he said the media coverage that goes on in England with all this paparazzi stuff is getting absolutely ridiculous. And we have the same thing here in this country. You know, you go over out to California and everybody's looking for the perfect $1 million picture of this person having an affair or this person doing something wrong or this person just, you know, that we can use these pictures and make all kinds of money. All right. Politicians and newscasters at time, at times do seem to be basically parasites that are feeding on each other. All of the public's debasement. For example, the editor of a newspaper was questioning a reporter who covered a political rally. And what did the candidate say, he asked. Well, nothing, said the reporter. Okay, said the editor. Keep it down to one column and we'll put it on the front page. 
He was just told, basically, he didn't say anything. But we got to get a story. We've got to get this out there, and we've got to get that out there, and we've got to make our point, and we've got to uh, hit this thing and hit that thing and, and you know, uh, cause, cause trouble. And you know as well as I do, there are a whole lot of stories. You know, used to be referred to a couple of years ago as fake news, you know. And there's a lot of fake news, to be honest with you. Two hotshot reporters decided to do their own opinion poll for the next day's story about suburban concerns. And at the first house, they rang the doorbell and they asked the resident what concerned him most as a citizen in today's troubled world. And the man rather angrily said, well, right now, I'm most concerned about the fresh coat of paint I just put on this porch that you're standing on. An hour ago, I put that paint on there, and you're both standing on it. I mean, can you picture it? Reporters, it doesn't matter what they got to go through to get their story. And I'm not, oh, I'm not, I'm not painting a broad picture here. I'm not saying every one, of course not. But there are people that are out for the story, whether it's true or not. Okay, you got your reporters, you got your paparazzi, uh, and so forth, uh, you know, pressing in for that million dollar photo. If you look at verse 15 in our story here uh, about uh, Jesus and, the, uh, and his walk on the, on the lake, it says in verse 15, when Jesus therefore perceived, when he saw, when he understood, well, more than understood, when he perceives it when he sees it okay he sees it taking place that they would come and take him by force when he saw that clearly that they were coming by force they were looking to seize him to spoil him to scratch away at him basically to rob him openly that's what this word means by force to make him a king he departed again into a mountain himself alone Okay, and this was not his purpose. It was not his purpose. He, he was not going to be king by force. It would be willingly. It would be, as I said earlier, there's free will. God's not going to make you love him. He's not going to make you do this or do that or do something else. He tells you the whole story. He gives it all to you so you can understand where you stand in the whole thing, okay? But it's, it's going to be willingly. You have to willingly want Jesus, okay? And the time is ticking. Tick, tick, tick. You know, the clock is moving. The hands are, are swinging around. The sun was beginning to go down, as it says in verse 16. And when even was now come, so now it's, getting on to twilight here, and it's getting on to be nighttime. And his disciples went down unto the sea, it says. They went down there, and they hopped into the boat, and they took off. Now, this is not some big, you know, Miami Vice uh, cigar boat, as they used to call them, you know, with the great big front, and it has a million, a million uh, uh, you know, motor, you know, and it's going to go... Whoosh. You know, like mad, it's not one of those. It's not even a yacht, okay? 
It's not, even, it's not any kind of fancy boat. It's basically a sailboat with some oars. Some oars. Now, I, not, not some oars. You know, you know what I'm saying? Not, not the chocolate bars and the graham crackers and the marshmallows. I mean some oars. Got it, Ben? Right? O-A-R-S. Oars. Might as well say paddles, okay, kind of like. So they hopped in the boat and they took off. I want you to notice they didn't stick around for any brainstorming. They didn't just go ahead and get into position and sit around the boat and go, now what should we do next? You know, let's brainstorm this thing. Let's, let's see what the best solution would be. Notice they didn't get together for any kind of strategy meeting trying to figure out how to approach it and how to, you know, go about their next step. I want you to notice they didn't vote on trying to figure out what the next step would be. In fact, what we're told is Jesus went up into a mountain. Amen? I mean, they got into the boat, but Jesus wasn't with them, and he went up into a mountain. And notice it says that he went up again. <laughs> this means he's done it before. This means this isn't the only time he's gone away to pray. Okay? This is again. That's what it says. Again. It's not the first time. You see, prayer is always appropriate. It's always appropriate. There is simply no inappropriate time for prayer. James, in his letter, tells us to pray when we are suffering, to pray when we are sick, to pray when we are cheerful, to pray when we are hurting. We are to pray for ourselves and for each other. Amen? Uh, a while back, I read a story one time about a missionary who arranged for a, uh, a man from Nigeria to come over to this country, okay, and, uh, and attend the university, to have a university education, okay? Now, the young man was there at the university, and a couple of his professors took him down to the track to see field and track stuff, you know, the running, the pole vaulting, and, you know, you know what I'm talking about. All of that kind of stuff. Now remember, this guy's from Nigeria, and he's probably seven and a half feet tall. Okay? The young man observed some athletes running and remarked to one of his professors, I think I could do that. I think I could do that. I'd like to try that. So the professor made the proper introductions, and soon this young Nigerian was running with the university track team. And it became evident that he was very gifted at distance, going further, okay? One step in front of the other, right? That's the journey. The first time he was clocked running a mile, his time shattered the national record. Not just the university record, not just that part of the state's record, 
or the whole state's record. It shattered the national record. And the coach was absolutely thrilled to discover that he had a contender. Now, I know you're expecting me to go into that impression of Marlon Brando with the contender, but I'm not going to do it. For the national title. And at the, at the big meet, maybe later, he told the, his young runner, just get on the outside and run like you do in practice. Don't let anybody bump you. Don't let anybody crowd you. Get out in front and stay there. Well, the gun sounded and the young man took off. But instead of leading the pack, he was running dead last. Yeah, dead last. That wasn't really expected. Dead last. His feet, he would say later, felt like lead until the end of the first lap. And then, he began to fly. And when the coach saw him cross the line in first place, there were tears on his face. And the coach embraced his runner and then said, son, what happened to you out there? I've never seen a slower first quarter. And the boy said, my feet felt so heavy that I could not pick them up. And that's when I prayed, Lord, if you'll pick them up, I'll put them down. If you'll pick them up, Lord, I'll put them down. You see, that's the journey, isn't it? Up and down, up and down, one step and then the other. One foot in front of the other, as the song goes. The, the Lord Jesus picked them up so fast that he said, I felt like my feet never even touched the ground. In times of trouble, pray. In times of happiness, pray. In times of sin and sickness, pray. It's the very best thing you can do. But how many times do you hear people say, and maybe have even heard yourself say, all I can do is pray. You know, we say that a lot. or We have a tendency to. You know, I can't do this and I can't do that, but all I can do is pray. Like it's not much. It's really the very best that we can do. Glory be to God. And boy, would that be needed. And we're about to see that. Look at verses 17, 18, and 19. Okay, are you ready? So they came down to the, to the sea, and they found this boat. And they entered into a ship. And they went over the sea toward Capernaum, which, by the way, was their headquarters. Okay? That's where they would set up their shop so to speak. Capernaum was sort of their headquarters. And now it was dark and Jesus had not come to them. And I think, I think they kind of expected that he would. I think they kind of expected that he would be with them. They really didn't want to go without him. They didn't want to even get in the boat 
and start to take off without him. I think they expected him to come. But verse 18 tells us, and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. A great wind that blew. 19 says, so when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, which is over three miles, I'll just put it that way. It's over three miles. Turns out that they see Jesus walking on the water. They see him walking on the, on the sea. And drawing nigh unto the ship that is walking and coming closer and closer to the boat. And then it says, and they were afraid. They were afraid. There are one or two other places that the Bible mentions about Jesus walking on water. One is, if you'll remember, Peter gets out of the boat and wants to be able to walk. And he starts to do it. But he got his eyes on the problem. He got his eyes on the, on the wind. And he got his eyes on the waves. And he started to sink. And Jesus reached out and took him by the hand and brought him back up. It's a picture of God lifting up Jesus at the ascension. Amen? I think it's also a picture of Jesus lifting up his church at the rapture. It's all the same picture. And the Greek word that's used there is lambano. Praise God. I'll get to that in just a minute, but that's, that's the word. So hold on to that thought. What was all this going to mean? I mean, they see him. They see him coming. And they're scared. Okay? I mean, like I said, other times they thought it was, you know, a ghost. He must be a spirit, you know. I think it I think it depends on the perspective. I I think it, I think what it really depends on is what we are really looking for. Who is this Jesus? I mean for real. Who is he? Some some Christians they spend a good bit of their time worrying about falling back into sin. You've probably noticed that. Maybe you've even found yourself doing that from time to time, and maybe often and maybe not so much. It's up to the individual person, I suppose. They don't move on and they don't move up to higher ground. They won't really continue to grow because they're all focused on falling back into sin. I mean, I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying it can be, okay? And if you focus all of your energy on trying not to fail instead of training to win, you're going to remain a baby in the faith. It's just a fact of the matter. Carl Walenda, I'm sure you've heard the name before, was perhaps the most famous aerialist who had ever lived. He was one of the flying Walendas. I think they were based out of the Detroit area. I know we heard about them a lot when we lived in Detroit, uh, and they did several um, shows and stunts and things. Uh, I think at one point they actually walked across the Detroit River on a high wire 
thing. Uh, probably did all kinds of different things. Uh, and, and I th but I think they were based there. Anyway, it was a high wire act and they're, the feats, and I don't mean like feet, you know, I mean like feet, like this thing that they're doing, this act that they're performing, thrilled audiences worldwide. Walenda once wrote, he said, for me to live is being on a tightrope. <laughs> Not me, boy. You know, I, I seriously question somebody's thinking when they purposely risk their lives like this. You know, you know, how much does God think this is a good idea? So, but anyway, he said, no, for me to live is, is being on a tightrope. And then he said, all the rest is waiting to be on the tightrope. All the rest of my life is just waiting to be on the tightrope. But my life is the tightrope. And he said in 1968 that the key to tightrope walking was confidence. There was no room to think about failing. But in 1978, now that, this is just 10 years later, Carl Walenda fell to his death from a high wire strung 75 feet in the air in San Juan, Puerto Rico. His wife said that three months prior to this most dangerous attempt, Carl talked frequently about falling. He checked the installation of the wire, which of course you would have to do, but he was obsessed with it. He calculated the wind, which of course you would have to do, but he was obsessed with it. He checked the guy wires, of course, that's what you'd have to do too, but he was obsessed by it. The guy wires that would keep everything steady and keep everything in place. And his wife said, I believe Carl fell because he spent so much time Preparing not to fall instead of preparing to walk the rope. You see, there's a big difference. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of what are you focused on. So the Christian is not really supposed to be focusing on maintenance. I got to do this in order not to fall into sin. I got to do this in order not to you know, do this thing wrong or, or whatever. You go for growth. That's what the Bible's calling for. You go for growth. You spend time in God's word. You seek to understand and apply the truth that you discover. You seek him in prayer. Praise the Lord. You think about going on to a higher ground, not merely protecting the ground that you've already covered. Praise God, when Jesus got close enough to the boat, close enough to speak, it went like this. And there, there it is in verse 20. He said to them, it is I. It is I, be not afraid. It is I, be not afraid. 
he's essentially saying the same thing he did he said so many other times in the gospel of john i am the good shepherd i am the sheepfold i am the door i am i am i am he's the great i am i mean when moses was being called to go ahead and get the people out of bondage in egypt he said listen god if i'm going to do this i got to know your name you got to tell me who's telling me to do this stuff. And he said, tell them the great I am. Tell them the great I am. And contrary to popular opinion, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I mean, that's the same thing. I'm, probably every time you see an angel in the scriptures, what does the angel say? I mean... Um, okay, maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time, he says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Even at Christmas, he says, fear not. No fear. Because there was supposed to be no paralyzing fear that would stop you from doing what you're doing. They could willingly receive him. Okay, they could willingly, they wanted to make him king. They wanted to force it on him, okay? But God said, uh-uh, no. He's going to be king, all right, but it's going to be willingly. You're going to have to want him to be your king, to want him to be Lord in order to truly see him that way. Willingly receive him into the boat. That's what it says. Verse 21, then they willingly received him into the ship. And I love this part. I said it before, I'll say it again. Immediately, the ship was at the land whither they went. Where they had planned to go, all of a sudden, miraculously, they are there without rowing, without putting in the work, without putting in the, the labor, you know, really getting their backs into the, into the rowing. No, they were automatically there. Willingly means to will and to desire and to have an active volition and purpose. It means to have in mind. To have in mind, that's willingly. Willingly received. Received is that lumbo, uh, lumbo um, baneo that I told you about earlier. Okay, actively to take something, lumbano. Okay, and and by the way, uh, as yes, it's to actively take something, but it's also specifically not to make something. Okay, God is not going to make you want Jesus. God is not going to make the young people want the Lord. They need to want him. They need to see their need for him. And we do too, everybody. I'm not just picking. I'm just saying. We've got to know that he, every one of us is being called to want him. There's a, there's, a, there's a place of no distance. They're there. They got there automatically. They had, I don't know, another couple miles to go or something, but no. Miraculously, they are there, praise God, into their lives 
and continue with a forward movement. Praise the Lord. Okay, so crucial, so crucial. Immediately, the ship was at the land whither they went, where they were headed. All of a sudden, they are there without the extra work. They already put in the work. They already put in the submission, and they wanted Jesus, and they had him, and praise God for that. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. The Christian has, well, the Christian witness has a very simple calling. And that is to manifest, or as we've said so many times, to make clear, to make conspicuous, to show forth the truth. And the truth is in Jesus. There are some people who come to church desiring to be religious, simply to do the things of the church. But that's not salvation. Salvation is when you let him change the heart and change the life. We spoke of that earlier. It's not just a desiring of the truth. It's a having the truth. Okay? They look upon religion as, and I, I kind of like this illustration, they look upon religion as a low-calorie dessert. Like, it's not going to hurt you, so go ahead and have a bite. Okay? It's nice. It's a little sweet. It's not too calorie-laden. It's not too addicting. It's not too fattening. It's just a little bit. You don't have you to eat a whole cake. There's, a, you know, just take that, that little piece that's on the dessert plate. Okay, they'll have a bite of it. And religion to them is an add-on to the main course, the main course of life, and really nothing more than that. Well, that's not what God is looking for, and that's not what God is calling for when he brings us into this relationship. The only problem with the approach that I've just described, well, how people see religion and how they see it as the, as the dessert, so to speak, with this approach comes when a seeker who only wants a bite of religion comes into contact with God's word and is confronted head-on by truth. Suddenly, religion is applied to and intrudes upon life. The truth affects how a man runs his business. The truth affects how he treats his wife. The truth affects how parents relate to children and children to parents. It affects the places that he goes, the things that he says, and the things that he does. It even begins to impact his goals and his dreams. Suddenly, religion gives way to relationship, and it becomes far too big for that little tiny dessert plate. Praise God for that. You know, I've said before, and I'll, I'll just say it again to make it clear. The word religion is used about five times in the scriptures. And four of them are negative. It's not a good thing. Okay? The only one that's positive is where it says, and pure religion is taking care of the widows and taking care of the orphans and so forth and so on. It uses the phrase pure religion. That's the only time that it's seen 
as a positive thing. Otherwise, it's something to stay away from. C.S. Lewis was what's called an intellectual agnostic. Simply agnostic means he doesn't know what he believes. Now this is C.S. Lewis in his early days. This is not after he's written all his books. Okay? He was an intellectual agnostic when he first met Jesus Christ. This brilliant British writer and teacher came face to face with the claims of Christ. And even as he wrestled intellectually, his conscience confirmed that he had indeed found the truth in Jesus. Our Savior said it himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by him. And that's who he is. The way, the truth, and the life. Glory be to God. As I said, C.S. Lewis was what's called an intellectual agnostic. He didn't actually know what he believed. Agnostic is, comes from the Greek. The, the, you know, not knowing, not knowing. He believes something, but he, not knowing. Just what he really believes and where he stands and so forth. Until finally God got a hold of his heart. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. And, and you know, and then, then he started in on his uh, allegories and his, you know, screw tape letters and, you know, all the, all the uh, Narnia, you know, uh, all kinds of things that point to Jesus. Hallelujah. The truth is in Jesus. Praise the Lord. You see, the fact is, and I'll close with this, force isn't going to work. You're not going to force somebody to know Jesus. Forget it. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We give Jesus, and we pray for people that they'll see their need for him. Amen? But you're not going to force anybody. It just won't work. It never was meant to work. Jesus makes clear in the scriptures that it's by free will. And that's the way it is. That's the way he wants it. Now, can you picture it? You need to forget about the paparazzi. You need to forget about the million dollar photo that everybody's striving to get in order to, you know, really boost their um, bank accounts, I suppose you could say. But the uh, gazillion dollar follower of Jesus, if I could use the phrase, the gazillion dollar follower of Jesus will follow him. Not only onto the sea, but across the sea. Every row, every paddle, every, and then finally, when all of a sudden they're there, they're there without traveling any further, without putting any more work into it, Praise God, that's Jesus. And that's what, that's what Jesus is looking for in every one of us. So which is it? Which will it be? By force or willingly? By the way, in case you're wondering, that's my title. I forgot to write it out. But that's my title. By force or willingly, which will it be? Okay? Well, clearly it's not going to be by force. The Bible says... 
and they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Immediately. Glory be to God. Amen? From there, Jesus goes on. I'll just say it. Jesus goes on to talk about himself being the bread of life. And there's other stories. We can't cover them all, but we'll, we'll do what we can to just see how obvious Jesus is. Amen? Okay? Praise the Lord. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this merciful time that you have given. You have a purpose. You have a plan for it, dear God. And your, your love, dear God, is going to be full and real and complete. And we want to thank you for it, dear God. Hallelujah. You are worthy, Lord, to be exalted and praised and loved, dear God. You are Jesus. You are Jesus. Hallelujah. And Lord, we need you. We are a people, dear God, that I believe recognizes we need you. There may be a lot of other people that don't recognize that yet, but that's our prayer, that they will, that they will. Our family members, other people we know, could be workmates, could be people uh, in our neighborhoods, whatever. They need Jesus. They may not know it yet, but they need Jesus. And if we will come and receive him and allow him to be life within us, that's going to be a call to them too. Hallelujah. We thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the name of Jesus.